0: Hello, my name is Veronika Kasova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Masters in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast.
1: Welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I am often asked in my day-to-day goings about um, supporting aspiring psychologists whether it's always necessary to have a master's in order to pursue and progress your career as an aspiring psychologist and today is my attempt to help to answer one side of that debate, really. Um, I am going to be joined in conversation, which you can watch if you'd like to, um, on the um, Good Thinking Psychological Services YouTube channel. Um, But you don't have to, you can just listen through this very podcast that you might be listening to right now. Um, I'm going to be joined by um, a lady who works for um, a master's course and now I should say that I haven't been funded or you know cajoled in any way um, to record this episode. Um, I reached out to the course because it was a course that I had studied and that I had found really useful. Um, So yeah just Take on board what we discuss. We're discussing the benefits mainly of doing a master's. But if you would like to talk to the other side of this argument that maybe you think you don't need um, a master's to progress your um, career in psychology, then do please um, drop into my DMs um, or send me an email, and we can absolutely discuss getting you on um, to talk to the other side of this debate. And similarly, if you found it useful thinking from the perspective of a mother um, in last week's episode about whether you can should and what it would be like to train as a professional psychologist when you're a mother. Um, If you'd like to discuss it from a male perspective, do let me know as well. Um, And I hope you'll find this episode really useful Um, and it might open your eyes to thinking about different ways of strengthening your CV. Um, And I will look forward to catching up with you at the end of this episode. Um, Yes, I hope you find it useful and speak to you very soon. Welcome along to Dr. Mel West, um, who joins us from Newman. Hi, Mel.
2: Hi, thank you very much for having me
1: thank you. Um, I reached out to your predecessor who was Lorna um, because I had done um, the Masters qualification um, with um, with Newman and so when I was wanting to talk about Masters you know sometimes it's better the devil you know um, but I understand that you took over after Lorna is that right?
2: That's right yes yeah. so I took over from the running the Masters in 2017. Uh, it was a big thing because um, Lorna set the course up and she'd been running it for a long time uh, and so there's some big shoes to fill but I think I'm doing all right yeah
1: <laughs> very hard to give away your babies isn't it
2: absolutely and that's the thing as well yes I oh. think she was quite watchful over it for a while but I think I, I've sort of earned the trust now Um, and yes yeah, she obviously an absolute fountain of knowledge with so much to to give having set it up um, you know as a novel course and having set that up and being part of the initial thought about developing it she's given me so much information that yeah it's um enabled me to to go into it feeling quite confident and, and running it successfully yeah
1: brilliant we will hear a little bit about the novel way that your particular course is set up a little bit later but our audience is not just clinical psychologists like me our audience can be anyone really who is an aspiring psychologist or working in various different areas um, of psychology. Could you tell us a little bit about your kind of psychology career and how you got to be where you are now, please, Mel?
2: Certainly. Yeah. So I um, I finished my undergraduate degree and um, I actually didn't go straight into uh, a master's. I decided that I'd had enough and uh, of of education higher education. And I needed a break and I went into finance because obviously psychology allows that with all the stats. Um, And I have many years of working in finance and got married and had children. And then we moved to a different part of the country. I'd always felt I wanted to go back to it. I wasn't finished with psychology. Um, But obviously, once you get caught up in life, it can be difficult. Uh, So I, but having moved to a different uh, part of the country, I'd sort of given up my job and I felt free to try something new. So I went back to university and I actually, because I had done um, back in those days, psychology with health studies, there wasn't health psychology back then. I had to do a uh, PG certificate in, uh, uh, to get the conversion for the BPS uh, um, some graduate registration. So I did that and then I went on and did my master's in health psychology and then did my PhD. Um, from that point, I've been working in again higher education at different universities.
1: Thank you so much. Um, you know, thank you for chatting to me. Um, um, we were chatting just before we um, just before we went live about actually quite how unique um, the qualification certainly was when I was um, looking for it in two thousand and sort of six two thousand and seven, um, because when I was doing it, it was part time. Distance learning in the main, um, but I had to kind of go a little bit in once a once a term for teaching and for an exam. But I understand it's it's moved and become even more modern.
2: It has. That's right. Yes. Um, I, we are now completely online. Apart from one day, you come in for the induction day, and that's where we talk you through. Uh, you know, make sure you can use the library systems, make sure you can use Moodle, um, and so you can navigate your way around the, the sort of electronic sort of versions of everything. Um, and also, that just enables you to meet your cohort in person uh, and the stuff, um, And then it's all online. There are no exams, it's uh, just coursework and like I said, we, we, we are doing recorded lectures so that they're available and then we have the, the chat functions where we discuss the reading um, and there are sort of online activities and quizzes and things. So yeah, um, it's amazing how everything is done electronically.
1: Yeah, and I guess the pandemic has sped up that process mm-hmm. as well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, so obviously we were moving towards that sort of gradually um the world generally but uh yes as the as the course was already um mostly online at that point uh it was you know um uh, it was it was still quite novel in in that respect at that time and Covid's pushed it forward and I said so now we are Ooh. making it even more online and even more interactive online that's the that's the difference I'd say that's the thing um before it was less um it was more asynchronous and now it's becoming more synchronous because we're much more uh au fait if you like with, with doing these face-to-face Um, sort of, you know, uh, digital electronic kind of contacts, which is great because we then are getting to see the students rather than see a picture of the students all the time.
1: You guys were like 13, 14 years ahead of the, you know, the remote working curve. (laughs) You're really doing good stuff. Um, A really common question I'm asked um, all the time, really, um, which is, Uh, do I need a master's you know to progress my career in psychology either clean psych um, or health or forensic you know do I need that or can I do that without and I guess that's an important kind of one for us to weigh up together.
2: Yes definitely it is very important I don't I think that some people can be lucky and you could get away without having a master's um and i think like we've said um we mentioned before briefly before we came on that um maybe you could if there was this belief that if you had a first you could get away without doing a master's but actually i think um it's they're so competitive the field of psychology is so competitive that actually even if you have a first uh, a master's is a real benefit um because it is a step up from an undergrad even if you have got a uh first it, it, it is a higher level you know we talk about them uh in, in universities we talk about it year uh, your first year is year four and then second year is level five um third year is level six and and then Uh, your master's is level seven and that is a step up when you look at all the marketing criteria there's a little bit more expected so um, and I think that's maybe employers are aware of that and certainly within psychology there's an awareness of that so I think you don't always need a master's you could be lucky but it's Mostly advantageous,
1: yeah, I guess what I liked about what I did, and I'd said before we came on as well, um people would be like, "I'd rather listen to what you were speaking about before <laughs> it sounds, it sounds good. Um but before we came on, I only did um I think the postgraduate certificate because I managed to get on uh, the doctorate after one year. Um, and that was still really advantageous actually. so I was really pleased that I was still able to get a qualification for that one year, but even just the rigorous way that you taught me about research and being able to comfortably take that apart pick it apart put it back together and construct my own was really useful
2: yes that, oh, yes that's right so um, it's the case that it is we often have students starting they have to register for the masters anyway that's the way it kind of works at the moment um, but they sort of leave after doing the first year which is three taught modules um, and that gives you a postgraduate certificate or you can stay on and you might finish the the six taught modules which is the uh, postgraduate diploma and uh, often like I say students will start thinking they're going to finish the whole master's and then uh, as you said you did d- d- apply thinking I'll oh, just give it a chance the clinical doctor I'll try it and then they get a place uh, awarded a place and so then they take the lesser award um, and but they always say yeah that first module in research methods really does help with that interview where you have to do tests and you have to talk about you know research and, and how what kind of things are of interest and how you would go about carrying out research it, it's and it is designed that way that's the course is designed so that it will help with those kind of things and obviously like you said it's not just about uh, clinical psychology here it's about and it just it can help with any area of, of work that you're going in any career if you want to be uh, leading things and um, especially in a sort a of an applied kind of setting where things might really help to do action research you might not need a formal kind of uh, research project but you can do action research which is research as you go through in a real setting Uh, and that can really help to give you evidence of making a change that is required in any work actually.
1: Thank you Um, obviously one of the main drawbacks um, for for any masters is that it might mean that you have to you know do less work or Um, paid work, I mean, or, you know, in traditionally taught masters, um, you might not be able to do any work around it, um, you know, or you might choose not to. So you can really focus on your masters. And of course, there are financial implications to master's study um, in that you have to pay tuition fees as well. So it's not, you know, this stuff doesn't come for free. And that can be really tricky when we're trying to, to think about inclusion and diversity in our workforce as well. Are there any other subsidised or bursary ways for accessing master's funding or you know scholarships anything like that these days?
2: I think um, I think some universities do offer some uh, it's a case of looking at what uh, universities have on offer because obviously most students are looking to go through student finance um, and not all Master's cost the same amount of money, which isn't the same as undergraduates. Most undergraduates cost nine and a half thousand uh, a year for studying. and I think uh, that yeah, it's individual. You could you could also be really lucky and get a company to sponsor you. And sometimes people in the work situation do actually manage to get support from their from their employer and get the tuition fees paid. But yeah, it is a problem. And like you say, most you have to have. Uh, work experience the work experience isn't well paid um, and trying to then balance that with your very demanding masters is quite a a sort of a balancing act and and quite a skill that you need to develop really.
0: Yeah I
1: think that's a really good idea and not one that I considered of but you, you, you could potentially ask your employer to help with that but certainly even if you're doing distance learning like I was it can be really helpful if your employer on board with giving you a little bit of study leave here and then or allowing you to work on assignments you know in quieter moments you know because it is really tricky you know um when i was uh when i was with you Um, I had a car crash I had a breakup you know I was trying to strive for new assistant posts and you know it's not an easy time in in my life whilst also trying to learn this stuff and get it in my head and and be functional in my paid work as well you know we are asking a lot of our aspiring psychologists, aren't
2: we? Yes, we really are. It is. Um, it is a most, uh, I suppose, uh, students are coming to us at a time, you know, usually in their twenties, when it's there's a lot of change and there's a lot to get to grips with, uh, and you're still developing as a person. So it is a very demanding time, um, and yet yeah, there's a lot to to be balancing and juggling. Um, but it's amazing how it can be pulled off I think if you're determined and you're very uh well motivated you can pull it off and you can succeed um uh but it's it is a lot to deal with especially when you've got the finance issues as well it yeah it's very difficult
1: yeah it certainly is and uh yeah I think I was just operating on grim and gritty determination really (laughs) at times during that tricky patch in my life but you know it's not I think it's important that we think about how we balance and reduce the risk of burnout is there any guidance you'd give to master's students or potential master's students or even people that aren't considering masters for how to reduce and avoid burnout
2: in mental health professions? um yes definitely uh we cover that quite a lot on one of the second year modules actually that i run um it's a really important topic and it's uh you know there's lots of sort of work looking into how as as a profession when in any type of therapy it's it's a, a very giving profession it takes a lot out of you it can be quite exhausting um and yet um we we sort of recommend all these things to clients and yet don't take the time to to do it to us and give ourselves that room and it can, because it's so competitive you often find that it, it breeding more competition in the workplace so who gets in first who's got the heaviest workload who's got the most clients um and, and it's not very healthy and so we really encourage people to to reflect and reflection mm-hmm. is a massive part of um being a psychologist you should be able to sort of spend time and, and just reflect on what's happening how do you feel how can you make things a bit better and trying to recognize any uh, signs of stress before it builds up because stress can build up on, and come upon you quite slowly and it's not until you're sort of dysfunctional that you realize how much it's, it has affected you so um, really encouraging time for self care and finding things that help with self care and making sure you fit it in and 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 pushing work back And not taking on more, and trying not to get it sort of be pulled into that very competitive element of being uh, a psychologist it
1: is tricky isn't it I remember when I was working as an assistant psychologist and you know you're asked to do stuff and there is that expectation that you will just do it but you've already got so many other things I was working on three inpatient wards for my qualified uh, for my assistant work it's a big job and I loved it but there is that kind of you know, it's it's a it's a tricky relationship where you feel like you want to say yes, and you kind of have to say yes, but you don't really have enough hours in the day.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, obviously, that's a, it's often sold to those in lower paid jobs as it's good experience for you. Why would you say no? Uh, and yes, it is good experience, but you should be allocated the right time uh, sort of frames to fit these in it within a. Uh, within the workload that allows you to to feel that you're giving it everything, rather than being spread so thinly, you 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 aren't able to fully be present with anything. Um, so I'd say. It's about being boundaried. You have to, however much you're grateful for being in the role, uh, and that's often a a feeling which students sort of relay to me. They're grateful for having the role, but they wouldn't be getting that role if they weren't deserving of it. So it's about appreciating your value uh, and putting any boundaries in place and, and showing and saying that you want, yes, you want the experience. You're very grateful to the experience. but you need to be realistic about what you can actually do
1: yeah and that is likely to be a question on your on your applications as well you know when have you been able to say no to stuff um so it's good practice to try and put that in you know to try and give that a bash as well um you know it's very important that we're able to know our own limits and be confidently able to protect them um otherwise we will be too thinly spread and you know, it will lead to burnout. It will lead to long periods of sickness absence, and it might well lead to us wanting to leave the profession altogether. And that's just not what any anyone wants for us no that's exactly
2: right so you know we see all the time where um burnout is sort of leading to more and more absences and people leaving the profession and they say that actually uh you know people young people uh coming into the profession are more at risk of burnout and that's because they're trying so hard and um uh, and you don't get that experience of course it's better for you to build up experience and then you're bringing more to the job but if you're leaving before you get to that point that's really sad and it's detrimental for the profession so yeah i think it is um very it's very important to take what you can and, and try to be boundary. and like you said it will pay you will be asked about that and it is something to to be proud of that you have that ability to say no
1: yeah I tried to use this podcast to spread a little bit of compassion in the psychology world as well um, and just to really highlight that this isn't a race you know I often say it doesn't really matter you know whether you get onto training this year or next year or the year after it might matter personally you know it might matter if you feel like you're putting your life on hold but in terms of the finished product you know what is actually better is that you get there on day one of your course and things feel within your comfort zone or just ever so slightly a little bit of a stretch what we don't want is for people on you know day one year one of training to be massively floundering and feeling like it's all too much, they can't do the personal, can't do the professional bit, can't do the research bit, because it is, you know, that you and, and mixing socially with the cohort and juggling your life, it is a lot, isn't it, when you're undergoing any professional psychology training. And so Some of the advantage of just slowing things down a bit and really making sure you're consolidating these skills you're giving yourself opportunities to learn um, research to do research means that when you get to your chosen professional qualification route in psychology it will feel like it's in your stride and that is so much better yes
2: absolutely yes so I hear that quite a lot students feel really disheartened because they can do the course over four years so obviously you know some of them less are applying year after year and it is so disheartened and and often I hear I feel like my life's on hold and I just want to get this um but like I say it's about trying to frame it reframe it in your mind slightly and think about well each year, I'm more experienced. I'm going to be bringing more to it. I'm going to be able to be more comfortable in it and be able to enjoy it. And it seems like a bizarre thing to say, but um, actually, if you can enjoy it, um, it's you. It will be so much more pleasurable as an experience, um, and you're less likely to feel really overwhelmed. So yes, it's about sort of accepting your capabilities um at the time and and then knowing that however hard you you sort of want however much you want it it's okay you will if you will get there eventually probably um or you'll get to somewhere and you'll be happy things often work out for the best uh and yeah i think it's it's a slow build-up is probably more beneficial than going in way over, feeling way over your head and then, sort of feeling a bit panicky and 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 not comfortable. I so say you want to have a little bit of a challenge, but it's got to be a comfortable self-push, not being massively overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, I guess I kind of liken it to when I did my um, my maths GCSE, and in year ten I did an exam, um, and I just found it quite tricky you know and so I found I really spent time looking at what I'd found tricky about that and I asked my maths teacher for some additional help at lunch times you know once a week because I was that kind of girl um, and really by the time my GCSE exam final exam came I walked out of that exam Because I'd looked at every question, went, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. I walked out feeling like I'd absolutely given it my best shot. And that's kind of how it felt when I was doing my doctorate interviews, is that they asked me questions. And even if they were a bit left field, I still felt like I could give a good answer. And I think that's the difference. That's what time and consolidation and of focused attention can be can be really useful for
2: absolutely yeah so that's it uh, it's like that's the that's the sort of epitome of it isn't it you sort of building up that experience and the more you uh, experience you have in all aspects of your life the more you're bringing to that interview or job role and that's going to be beneficial not just for you and and how you perform uh, as a professional in that role but also to any clients that you have you're going to be able to bring more to it because you are sort of have a much wider sort of experience and more to bring to it so so yeah I think that's exactly right it is about just being aware that it's all experiences are good you they 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 say don't they? if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger which is uh, a bit of a you know maybe a little bit controversial but it does mean that you have more to offer and that can be really good for clients yeah
1: we definitely don't want to be suggesting that (laughs) no no sorry (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) no I I absolutely know what you mean you know it's being able to reframe your negative experiences as well and to to take things from it isn't it so you know there is that um, you know I think when I was studying my doctorate even there was um, teachings that we'd had about um, about people that had been scarred as part of their experiences and it's that sense of you only get a scar if you've survived Um, And that's really powerful as an idea. So it is basically that if it doesn't kill you, then, you know, that's a good thing. Um, But it's how you then speak about that, isn't it? And even within difficult interviews, um, challenging interviews, they will often want to know how you've coped in adversity Mm -hmm. and how you've gone through that. And we need to be well practiced in doing that and also demonstrating that it's okay to have had adversity. You know, we want well-rounded people in psychology we definitely don't want machines
2: no that's exactly right yeah so it is about well it comes back to reflection doesn't it and i was saying the importance of reflection earlier um, it's it is a, a key sort of function within a professional a psychology professional um and you are it's about thinking about what that event meant to you that adversity that you've experienced and we all have um, and it's, you know, like we say, it's an important thing to survive um, an adversity and to come out of it and think about what that means, what, what it means um, and how do you take it forward and what can you do with it in a positive light. Um, and yeah, that will obviously benefit clients you because you can relate to things and you can talk about experiences more um, and you, yeah just that more to offer really definitely um are
1: masters generally still kind of roll on roll off in September or can you kind of roll on at different points of the academic year just I'm thinking if people are listening to this now they're thinking is now the time you know do I apply now or when is the best time or the only time to apply for master's study
2: um I think now universities are trying to get this sort of um much more flexible approach to applying and starting but um in my own experience i'm not aware of any that are currently um actually um starting other than in september we start only in september um and applications are for masters they're not the same as for undergraduates you know in undergraduates you're applying the year before really um but uh, for masters, you can still be applying in July and be expecting to start in September. So you can have a good long, think about it. Also, I would just say that it's probably worth putting in an application anyway, you know, just put in an application and you can think about whether or not you do want to start Often, you can defer your start. Um, but yeah, I think because of the way masters are structured with modules taught in a certain order at a certain time, that it's not always as flexible as being able to start at different times. Maybe that's next for the the sort of novel, yes. (laughs) Roll on, roll off masters, you know, here when you're ready.
1: And what's the deal with actual applications? Is that like a
2: form? Is it an interview? What tends to be the application route? Uh, Well, different universities do different things. Uh, For us, it's just a form. We just have a a form. It's not that much. And I would say, actually, when you're writing your personal statement, um, we don't we don't always want to read that this is all you've ever wanted to do uh, and so uh, it's nice when people are just open and honest and say you know that they're hard working and well motivated and that's enough we don't need pages and pages of that you've always wanted to do it and how and demonstrating how this is the case um it's enough to just say that you really want to do this now and you're really well motivated oh you just made me flash back
1: to my um my undergraduate uh, personal statement and honestly I found a copy of it not so long ago it was dreadful it was like talking about stuff like oh me and my brother get on quite well like (laughs) why was that in there who was not helping me how did I get on to a course I'm now much better at writing personal statements but honestly. So yeah, it's very interesting to think about what should and should not be in your personal statement. These days. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yes. Uh, it is funny sometimes reading them. Uh, <laughs> and I think most people will look back and sort of think, oh, um, but no, you get, I think sometimes the, the sort of couple of uh, sentences, well, a, a paragraph uh, and a half maybe says more than enough. Um, uh, and yes, it's, it's about making it directly relevant which is all of it uh, that's um a key to all ro- academic writing really lovely um thank you so much
1: for joining me mel is there anything that we i haven't asked you or that you wanted to talk about that we haven't done so far
2: um not really no just um we're talking about sort of inclusivity uh, and diversity and just how that's really important to make that much uh, uh much better within psychology generally that's a that's a really important point and hopefully um yeah the barriers are coming down and we're making it better but that's just something to just acknowledge i think it's important that we all acknowledge that um definitely that, that's all we've thank got
1: you. more coming up in the podcast about inclusion and diversity and equality as well but thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining me it's been so lovely um connecting with you um and just wishing you a lovely summer um yeah and let me know if I can help with
2: anything in future that's lovely thank you very much thanks for having me Thank you so
1: much for listening and thank you so much to our guest, Dr. Mel West. Um, I have found it really, really interesting. And like I said at the beginning, if you'd like to talk to the other side of this debate, if you think there are other ways to strengthen your CV without needing to do a master's, then do let me know and we can also talk about that. If you've got any other ideas for podcast episode content, Um, do let me know. And we also, as a little sneak scoop, we've got an exclusive episode coming um, where I answer any questions for you. It's going to be an Ask Marianne Anything special. So if you have got any questions and you'd like to record yourself asking me them, um, then do, do let me know. Um, And there's details for how you can record um, testimonials or questions in the show notes. You can listen to all back episodes of the podcast um, by um, checking them out on Spotify, on Amazon, on Apple Podcasts. um, And you can also listen to all of them on um, YouTube as well. And basically, I believe anywhere you could envisage or dream of accessing podcasts, you can reach us as well, which includes Google um, and, yeah, uh, Deezer. I think there's one called Deezer. <laughs> yes, you can reach me there too. Um, we've had a lovely, um, successful spring and summer in the Aspiring Psychologist Membership. Lots of people within the membership have this year gained places onto clinical psychology courses. And they said that they found that the membership had really helped to support them and to help help them perform optimally in the interviews. We've had a couple of people who wish to carry on in the membership as well, even though they are going to be trainee clinical psychologists. So that is just the most wonderful feedback. If you would like to rub shoulders, not only with myself, but with other aspiring psychologists and also other trainee clinical psychologists, or maybe if you are a trainee psychologist, and you would welcome some more support, some more compassionate guidance, and some more thinking about enhancing, developing your personal, professional, and research skills, then do get... um, Yourself onto the Aspiring Psychologist waiting list, and we've got some exciting developments coming for you to be able to um, practice and improve your skills um, and your chances of being published as well in research um, within the membership. But you've got to be on the waiting list um, for when the space is next open on the 1st of July. So details of how to do that um, can be accessed via my Linktree, which is available from all of my socials. Do come and connect with me on my socials. Um, Basically, I'm Dr. Marianne Trent on pretty much everywhere. Um, So I'm that on Twitter. I'm that on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I keep getting LinkedIn and Linktree mixed up. Um, I'm that on Instagram. Um, I'm Marianne Trent on Facebook and also Good Thinking, Psychological Services, Facebook and um, YouTube, um, Good Thinking, Psychological Services. So honestly, if you haven't yet stumbled across me on um, social media, I'm also on TikTok for Dr. Marianne Trent too, then I don't know how you've done it. You know, (laughs) you must live in a social media vacuum. Which is probably very good for your mental health. <laughs> so yeah. long may that last. But yeah, we do some lovely stuff in the membership. And of course, there's the upcoming Aspiring Psychologist Collective book. Um, if you um, know someone who is currently training on the Hull, the special Hull York scheme that takes you from undergraduate to um, the doctorate um, in clinical psychology, I'd love to be able to include... Um, a story from someone in that um, in that position within the upcoming Aspiring Psychologist Membership. So if you know someone who fulfills that brief, then do let them know about me. And similarly, if you know someone or perhaps you are someone who has trained um, initially, perhaps done your undergraduate, maybe done your master's in a different country and then come across to the U.K., Um, to pursue your um, professional um, qualification. Perhaps you've even got on to um, a professional qualifying course, um, but English wasn't your first language or you weren't born in the UK. I'd love to be able to include a couple of stories from your perspective within the Aspiring Psychologist book which is hopefully going to be published at the start of October thank you so much for listening right to the end Um, let me know if you've got any questions or if you'd like to record your question for me for the special um, Q&A episode I'm going to drop in the Q&A jingle here just, you know, because I've got it, it's ready. I'm excited. You know I love a jingle. Um, thank you so much for being part of my world. And take care of yourselves. Be kind to you.
0: Questions and with Dr. Mary and Trent. Use the details in the show.
3: I'm Jo and I work as an assistant practitioner in a CAM service in Lancashire. I bought and read Marianne's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, to accompany me while completing the clinical psychology training application. It proved to be really good company. I found it sparked ideas of how to build experience and skills, but more than that, it offered the chance to get lost in people's stories. It provided a timely reminder not to get so caught up in an end goal and to value and enjoy each job we fulfil along the way, because the work we do now is important and matters to those we sit alongside as well as ourselves. It also gave the reassurance that there are eclectic roots into clinical psychology, which is important for me as someone who's had a meandering journey and not a typical route to the profession. I wholeheartedly recommend the book for both personal and professional reasons. Be prepared to put evening tasks on hold for a while though, because once you've started reading, it's tough to put it down.